Welcome to the 65th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Jay Bonensinga, author of many thriller and suspense novels, and Jay's latest novel is The Walking Dead, Rise of the Governor. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jay Bonensinga, the author of many thriller and suspense novels, including Shattered and Perfect Victim. Jay's latest novel is The Walking Dead, Rise of the Governor, a collaboration with Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead comic books and graphic novels. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Sure. Well, or at least telephonically, be here electronically. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I, I wondered if you um, could start out by reading the first paragraph of The Walking Dead, Rise of the Governor. Absolutely. I, I, before I, I read it, I just want to say that I've been reading this here and there, and I've decided that the best way to read it is in what I'm thinking of as my Ashley Wilkes voice, because all this stuff happens in the South, and I love the South, and I think it's just... It like for some reason in a weird way it seems to fit. So okay, that sounds Bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Chapter one. It occurs to Brian Blake as he huddles in the musty darkness, the terror constricting his chest, the pain throbbing in his knees. If only he possessed a second pair of hands, he could cover his own ears and maybe block out the noise of human heads being demolished. Sadly, the only hands Brian currently owns are busy right now, covering the tiny ears of a little girl in the closet next to him. <laughs> okay, great. Well, well um, a what lot do you of think? <laughs> oh, it's 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 The Walking Dead, all right. <laughs> well, um, a, a lot of people, when they see a novel like The Walking Dead, Rise of the Governor um, in the bookstore, they're not really aware of how media tie-in novels work in terms of book publishing and kind of behind the scenes. Some people right. some people might mistakenly think, oh, Jay decided to write a Walking Dead novel. <laughs> and I was just curious, right. can, can, can you explain how this project came about for you? Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's ironic you say that because... You know, I've done tie-ins. I've done works for hire over the years. I've been doing that. I've been at this racket for over 25 years. And, you know, I've done my, my share of them. Um, and I thought when I first lucked into this, when I stumbled into this, like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Winnie the Pooh stumbling into the honeypot. You know, my <laughs> agent was like, well, yeah, they'll probably just give you a script and, you know, you'll do a, you know, you'll do a novelization. And so I was like, okay, it sounds fabulous. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm stoked. But then when I finally talked to Robert, you know, I, I asked him, are you, you going to give me a script? He's like, no, 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 no. That's not what this is, is at all. You know, he's like, this is, I, I don't remember his exact words, but they were sort of on the line of this is, you know, a reimagining. This is a, you know, this is a uh, backstory, original, completely fully fleshed out series of novels. And then I really started getting jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now it's become like, you know, 
Lord of the Rings. You know, we're in the middle of two towers right now, and uh, it's like fabulous. So um, I, I just really knew the right person that knew the right person. You know, I really kind of knew somebody that knew somebody, and you know, my buddy and agent in Hollywood, Andy Cohen. You know, is friends with Robert's producing partners, and you know, they got us all together. And, um, you know, I've been writing horror for a long time, and I've even worked with George Romero, and I'm kind of a zombie guy anyway. So I'm, I'm hoping and, and thinking that that may have had something to do with getting the, the gig. Sure. And, and do you have a sense, not, not to be too, you know, uh, not to pry too much, do you have a sense, that, were you uh, kind of in the running with others, or was it just that connection yeah, of... Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's, a, that's a good question. I, mm-hmm. You know, I... I yeah, I, I was in the running. I, there were like five other guys, and you know, I was, you know, certain I wasn't going to get it. Sure. The more I learned about it, I knew I knew about the comic, you know, and but I didn't know much about the TV show or how big this thing was going to be. I knew it was an Eisner Award-winning comic, and and really that's our bible. That's our sort of alpha and omega is the the comic. But you know, I, I didn't know at the time when I was signing on to it. And there were other guys vying for it, but I, but I, I, you know, the more I learned about it and the more of the issues of the comic book I, you know, brushed up on, the more I'm like, wow, I really want this. And yeah. so I've really started to woo them, you know, so, you know, that, whatever it was. I'm, that That's great. And, and, um, yeah. and, and I'm curious, I mean, the, 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 the title of the novel is The Rise of the Governor. Was it your decision to focus the the novel on the governor? And I was, and I'm also wondering for those listeners who may not be familiar with The Walking Dead, if you could just take a moment and try to describe the governor without giving away too many spoilers. Right. Well, um, that's you know the central um, issue of the material is where it comes from and how it gets to me and how I um, flesh it out and. And you know how Robert and I work together, and how this process has been organically kind of shaping up to what it is, and, and it's all been great. Uh, and w- w- the thing about the governor, you know, if anybody's familiar with the comic, or if you're not familiar with the comic, I would uh, recommend going back and grabbing uh, either you know some trade paperbacks or even the hardcovers are beautiful um, collectors' items. You know, you can get a hardcover of like many issues and there's, there's about seven hardcovers so you get the entire comic series <laughs> but the first you know the first hardcover through the third or fourth governor is what you know basically what i would call the main villain the main heavy he's just the most incredibly evil messed up villain and i think he, i even think he won an award like an eisner award for you know villain of the year and 2009 or something but anyway you know he just sort of you know these the heroes of this of this survival saga they just sort of run into his lair they sort of stumble in his web and and he just tears you know he just like tears a hole in the comic he he just takes it up a notch mm-hmm. and so robert always robert kirkman always thought it would be fascinating so I do a, a really fully fleshed out study, maybe in prose, you know, of where this guy came from, why, how he got this way, you know, what, what the, you know, the, the, the Armageddon had done to him, you know. So, <clears throat> you know, then when I learned, 
and this is our process, Robert will give me an outline. You know, and when I learned that this outline was going to revolve around who the governor is and where he came from, I thought, oh, my God. And I took a deep breath. <laughs> and I'm like, it, couldn't, it just couldn't be a better gig. It just couldn't be a juicier assignment, <laughs> you know. It's and, probably and, and, a, a little bit like, you know, Terry Brooks must have felt this way when George Lucas, you know, hired him to write about, you know, Anakin Skywalker or something. You know, he, I, that's how I felt, you know. I, sure. I just was so jazzed about it. So and, 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 and I'm, and I'm now, curious, you know, circling back a moment to, to kind of the, the process, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if you don't mind um, talking, you, you said, so you, you got, you know, an outline from, from Robert Kirkman, um, and that's where you, you know, realized that it was going to focus on, on the governor. And right. how, how did the process work? Did you write a complete draft or did you send the novel to him in chunks and, and, you know, if you did send yeah, it to him well, in yeah, chunks? You're, you're, you're sort of, uh, reading my mail. I, I mean, I did send him <laughs> chunks and, you know, it was really it was like a perfect process for me. I've been doing, you know, this, like I said, I've been doing this for a, a while. I've been writing books. I've got 14 books, you know, in print and, um, Many of them are horror, and some are thrillers, and some are suspense, and some are nonfiction. You know, and some, <clears throat> some I even you know I've even ghost written books and stuff. I'm I'm really just a you know journeyman writer, and so I felt really comfortable you know working this way. It's like I I, I think I would write, I think it was like seventy five page chunks or something like that, mm-hmm. and and then uh, you know the the small inner circle would take a look and just make sure that, you know, everything was going well. And, and, you know, fortunately for me, everybody, you know, dug my writing and, um, you know, and then there were fascinating little things like Robert would go, you know, I love it. You know, it's really moving along. I, I really like where it's going, you know, but on page 73, um, that guy has a tattoo <laughs> and in the comic, you see him, you know, shirtless, you see him naked, you know, and there's no tattoos. So we got to we got to remove that tattoo, and it was, it was a lot of little stuff like that for continuity, so that all these universes, all these venues, these mediums would would stack up and would comment on each other and be continuous, and like you could enjoy the comic book and then you know side straddle over to the book and enjoy that, but everything would sort of jibe. And that was that was really a fascinating part of the that's, process. That's that's great. Well, yeah. over over the last several years, zombies have really exploded in pop culture with comic books, novels, video games, movies, the, te- the television show of of The Walking Dead. In in your opinion, and I'm sure you've probably given this some thought, what what is the appeal of zombies, or or, or why is that? Well, you know, I think well, you know, being a George Romero fanatic, um, and and actually having the the really great fortune of even getting to know him a little bit and working with him and just falling in love with the guy. He's just, he's one of the coolest people I've ever met on this planet. (laughs) And, um, he, I've always believed that he tapped into, you know, what the meaning of the zombie is in the sixties and seventies, which is different than what the zombie means to culture today and why it resonates today. But when Romero is working, in his in his early phase, you know, when he was making Night of the Living Dead and 
Dawn of the Dead, where the zombies sort of infest the shopping mall, and you know, um, it was it was a thinly veiled, you know, metaphor for this out of control consumer society, you know, and and just this disgusting, vulgar consumerism, and and mindless you know, obeyance of, you know, advertising and stuff. It just, it just resonated so perfectly for it in its day, you know. And, and the gore and, and the horrific aspect just added to it. It just enhanced, you know, the, the symbolism and stuff. That's my perspective. Um, I, don't, I would never say that to George, though. <laughs> like a, just a humble guy, you know just a lovable, you know, ex-hippie. Right. And you just like do whatever, you know, if you see that, then that's fantastic. It's whatever, whatever <laughs> works. You know. That's great. But, but, it, but anyway, but just to, I'm, I'm, you know, rambling a little bit, but just to focus on your question, but today, you know, my, my I'm convinced today the zombie is taking over as the horror icon of the moment, you know. For a while it was vampires and, Twilight, and you know, and the vampire is obviously a sexual, psychosexual metaphor, psychosexual icon, you know, burgeoning sexuality, you know, repression. It came out of the Victorian era, you know, it was invented in the, at the you know turn of the century when everybody was repressed and you know, keeping their sexual urges like pent up, and that's that's a completely different metaphor. Today, the zombie, to me, is so beautiful and it resonates so powerfully it's because of the you know the the hideous times we're living in because of mortgages being underwater and and you know people getting foreclosed on and uh, you know nobody trusting anybody anymore and 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 all in you know it's like these are sort of blunt instrument problems that you're just you can't move you're stuck in your home you know and Every morning, no matter how much, you know, Valium you take the night before, you wake up and there's that moldering, putrid problem again coming at you. You know, and no matter how many, you know, how many of them you kill by shooting them in the head, there's just millions more coming, you know. Mm -hmm. Just for some reason, I I really think it's the zombie is speaking to our times in a weird way, and that's why The Walking Dead among all the zombie incarnations and iterations and movies and, you know, media and comics, Walking Dead is the most powerful because it's these, you know, very three-dimensional or fascinating, flawed heroes struggling to survive, to try to get out from under it. You know, and I think that's, people feel like that, that right now. That's what the world looks like to people. Sure. Sure. Uh, I think you're right, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And, and I, think yeah. You're, I think you're definitely on to something. Um, to, to shift gears for a moment, I, I know that you've written, you know, as you've mentioned, 25 novels um, and, and your own suspense and thriller and horror novels uh, prior to writing Rise of the Governor. Uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in writing. What what was that kind of initial drive to to write your first novel and try to get it published? Well, like many writers, or well, I don't know if many it's true, but like like a lot of writers, I I, I started out as a kid just copying things, 
<laughs> I remember <laughs> I wrote an entire book when I was like 12 years old. It was, it was, because at the time I loved a writer who was known as Trevanian. He wrote, you know, thrillers. He wrote like the Iger Sanction and, you know, he had these like super, um, uh, you know, brilliant, um, sexy spies, you know, like, like the very James Bond, very, you know, um, sure. And, and I'm, I'm would, familiar with him. I actually interviewed Don Winslow, who who wrote a um, Trevanian novel, if I'm not mistaken, about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he was, I guess he was an advertising executive. You know, I can't remember his real name, but um, anyway, um, so I just wrote my own Trevanian novel. I still have it somewhere. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, but, it, but, you know, that I've done that. I, I've actually typed a novel that I've loved. I've actually just typed it to feel what it's, it feels like, you know, to, to type a great novel, you know. Um, but I wanted to do it for so long. It's hard to even remember back when I didn't want to be a writer. And I, and I, and I also wanted to be involved in horror um, my whole life because, you know, I'm, I'm 52. I was born in 1959. Mm-hmm. And, and I grew up, I was weaned on Rod Serling. I remember sure. I, when, when I used to watch Rod Serling, you know, host the show, Twilight Zone, and I'd see this cool guy in this black mortician suit with the thin lapels and skinny tie with a cigarette, you know, addressing the camera. And I, and I, I thought when I was, you know, 11 years old, like he, he was the, the coolest guy I've ever seen. And then I found out he wrote the stuff. You know, and I'm like, oh man, I got to do that. I got to yeah. be that guy, and I got to write. You know, and so that's you know, I've wanted to do it ever since Rod Serling first appeared on TV. And and so so what was that? What was that process like for you to to sit down and and actually you know as you as you said, kind of type out and and copy. Uh, a novel that had already been published. Did you feel that that was something that you needed to do to kind of to 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 see how it was done in effect, or or what was that like? Yeah, for you? Uh, absolutely. I I, th- I recommend it to anyone who's serious about writing or any art, uh, any art for that matter. You know, there. Are me- I mean, I know a lot of musicians. I have um, my family's just full of musicians. I come from music, music you know, musical family, and. Um, they do the same thing with, with, you know, like a Charlie Parker solo or, or you know, the, the, you know, the, the score for some great piece of music. And, and they just, you know, learn it backwards and forwards. And, and they'll, you know, and it starts when you're a kid. When, you know, you listen to the, you know, Jimi Hendrix, you know, solo and, you know, and then you just replicate it note for note, you know, over the course of weeks and months, just meticulously. And it's like a really beautiful exercise. It's almost necessary. I mean, I do. I teach creative writing now and again at Northwestern and DePaul University, and um, I, I often, you know, see there's there's there are two categories of students. There's the fan, and then there's the student who's just basically getting credits, you know, and is not really as interested in the field of sure. writing. But the fan, in my experience. The person who loves it and is a fan and would be reading this stuff, you know, no matter what, and probably would be writing if they were dropped on a desert island and they had no hope of any publication or sales, but they, they would still just be writing. 
you know, they're the ones who succeed and do really well. You know, it does come from a love. Uh, you know, Stephen King is probably one of the biggest fans of, of horror. He's, he reads everything, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, he's just like a big kid. And I think that's where his genius lies. Sure. Well, I know from from research that in addition to writing novels that you produced and directed a film stash and you've done script writing, uh, I I know that uh, writing novels is entirely different from working on a film, which is an extremely collaborative art form. I wonder if you could talk about the differences, what what appeals to you about novels and what appeals to you about working in film. Well, you know, it's funny because it's not as different as you might think. I, I, I agree that, you know, on the surface, there are two different mediums in there, and one is very collaborative, and the other one is solitary, and one costs a lot of money to create the product, you know, the end product, and the other one is fairly inexpensive. Um, Publishing is getting even more and more inexpensive because of the digital, you know, <coughs> book world. Right. But, um, but so is film. Film is going the same way that publishing is going. It's film is sure. getting cheaper and faster and just as and, it, and it's great it's great i'm i'm a, i'm of the opinion that it's all really good for the art it's good for the mediums of both you know film and prose but but at the end of the day there the differences aren't as, as you know profuse as you would think because especially if you're a writer director um because you know i took like for stash for instance um I took a short story, a horror story, really a twisted one, probably one of the most bizarre things I've ever written. It was published in Cemetery Dance, and then it was reprinted here and there. Um, And I got a lot of mail on it, you know. And I took that and I thought, okay, this is the perfect controversial cult indie film. You know, it's like (laughs) the same... The, you know, you know, it's like the same in, instincts, the same impulses that got me to write it in the first place were, were present when I was adapting it and raising the money for it, and um, it worked out beautifully. I mean, it, it it seemed to live in that other medium, and I think I used the same toolkit. You know, when I was directing it, just the storytelling, you know, basic storytelling telling toolkit. And I, I, I have big arguments with academics about it, you know, because everybody wants to sort of compartmentalize this stuff. Right. But I tell my students, you know, really, you're talking about telling a story, and you're going to either be doing it, in it, doing it with images, or you're going to be doing it, you know, with prose, but the structure is the same. You know, there's a beginning, middle, and end, and, it, and it's, it's more similar than you would think. Gotcha. Well, I, I read yeah. about a I read about a book that you wrote and was published, Pinkerton's War. I wasn't clear if the book was narrative nonfiction or if it was a historical novel. It's narrative nonfiction. It's it's uh, you know some people call it creative nonfiction, but uh, you know that sounds like it's a bunch of lies. <laughs> I got I got uh, you know seventy seventy five pages of endnotes. Um, that was the challenge on Pinkerton's War. Is that you know I discovered this story that, you know, sounds like a suspense film. It sounds like a, you know, just, just an amazing movie that you would see. And it's all true. And it has to do with this guy, Alan Pinkerton, who, you know, essentially was our first 
inner city undercover detective um, in you know in the 1850s in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But he 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 became instrumental, and he and he entered the world stage when he accidentally almost stumbling upon this massive conspiracy and and insurgent um, plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln on the way to his first inauguration. And it was all set. It was going to happen in Baltimore, and, and you know the, the conspirators were highly organized, and it was a real threat. And Pinkerton uncovered it, and he convinced Lincoln to sneak into Washington using a series of like midnight trains and underground trains. And Lincoln traveled in disguise, and it's really this amazing story. And then it, eventually, Pinkerton, who saves Lincoln's life in that early in those early years, was asked to come to Washington and create what now is known as the Secret Service. That's interesting. I think a lot of people are not aware of that, that part of history. Yeah, I know. That's, that's why I really, that was sort of my impetus, behind, you know, and that's what really got me, got me jazzed about it, was that it was sort of a hidden piece of history, uh, arcane part of history, not a lot of people knew about. I mean, I even took this, I, I, I talked to Civil War scholars, and they were like, really? Pinkerton did that? What year was that? Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this stuff is really under, you know, exposed in the body of literature. Not that there's anything on Abraham Lincoln that's not completely, yeah, yeah. completely you know, explored on, on, from every different angle. But, but you uh, know, this, I think this is an Abraham Lincoln side note that not a lot of books have been written about. Interesting. Are, are there other historical books that you would like to write? That and the fact that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire hunter, but that's that's a completely different um, <laughs> story. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think that one's been written. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right. That already, yeah, even that's been written. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Who, who are some of the writers that inspire you and that you enjoy reading when you're not writing? Um, well... Uh, Bradbury, you know, when I was a kid, Ray Bradbury, he's probably the first writer that really sunk a hook into me and, and you know, showed me literature, modern literature, not just pulp, because I love pulp, and I've read pulp all my life. And, you know, my mom and grandma were big fans of James Kane and, you know, um, Betty Davis movies, and they, they warped me. Even when I was, like, you know, <laughs> eight years old, they... They would let me stay up and, you know, watch black and white noir films. And I love that. And that's part of my background. But Bradbury was um, really the first true influence. And, you know, I carried around R's for Rocket in my pocket and was inseparable with it and reread it many times. And the, um, I'm, I'm actually really delighted and, and touched that I've, I've been asked to contribute to a book um, based on Bradbury, um, and it's it's it's, it's uh, this you know there, Margaret Atwood is in it, and it's just like this um, you know Dean Koontz and just this huge honor roll of fantasists and major writers, and um, and what book be, is that? It, it's called Bradbury Lives, and it's uh, the works of uh, uh, works. Um, 
got a long title. It's okay. <laughs> something like, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something okay. like, it's an anthology and it's called Bradbury Lives, um, works dedicated, inspired by Ray Brad, the works of Ray Bradbury, stories inspired by the works of Ray Bradbury or something like that. I'm sorry I don't have it in front oh, of that's, me. That's okay. And, and is that is that published now or is that upcoming? It's, it's upcoming. It comes out okay. next year. Okay. And now, uh, right. yeah, we're going to have a big release on uh, at Comic-Con next year and, um, I'm really excited about that. And that, that was one of my huge influences. Um, and, and then also Harlan Ellison, um, is another writer who not only was an influence when I was a kid and, you know, I read, uh, his masterworks, you know, when I was, you know, teenager, mm-hmm. but then I got a chance to meet him and, and he became a mentor. Wow. Um, he, in fact, the first time I met him, <laughs> I wrote this book called the black Mariah in 1994, and uh, Romero signed on to direct it. New Line picked it up, and, and it was a great experience, even though it never got made into a movie. Sure. Um, but I worked with Romero on it, and got to meet George, and it was a great experience. And so then the following summer, I'm out on the road doing signings and stuff, and this was my first book. So I'm, I'm at, uh, you know, Comic-Con, and uh, I'm sitting at the table, you know, with some other authors, and, and all of a sudden, I see this this little dynamo of a guy, like a scarf, you know, and a beret, and, I, and it's Harlan Ellison, and he's coming towards me. I'm like, it's Harlan Ellison, and he comes <laughs> he comes over to our table, and he looks at us, and he sees my name, you know, and I'm like, it's great to meet you, Harlan. I'm Jay Bonnensing, and he goes, oh yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know this book. I, I, I read it. I'm like, excuse me? And he goes, yeah, I read it. Yeah, it was good. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously? You, Harlan Ellison, you think my, I'm, you know, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm like making an idiot of myself and being like a fanboy and everything. And Ellison, he's, you know, he's so jaded and used to this stuff. And finally, you know, he, like, he lets me go on and on for a minute. And then he looks at me and he goes, look. I said it was good. It's not Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> That's great that you have a Harlan Ellison story. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I loved him from that moment on. There was something about that that was so honest and sort of, you know, Harlan-esque. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well um, when, you, when you talk to aspiring writers, what advice do you give them for, for pursuing their own writing and, and, and trying to get published? Well, um, you know, I, I, I think I've mentioned one of the main things that I urge people to do, which is read, read, read. You know, become, if you're not like a huge fan now, you know, become one. Just uh, absorb as much of it as you can. And, and I, I, you know, I don't. I advise younger writers and fledgling writers: don't treat it as a precious thing. Don't treat it as a finely buffed jewel that you take out of your drawer every once in a while to show the select few. And if somebody even looks at it askance, you're offended. Don't treat it like that. Treat it like a job. Treat it like a profession. You know, be a professional. You know, get your stuff out there and get dirty and rewrite it and, and, you know, get it in front of people that, you know, don't care about you and don't know your name. They're just, you're just a number, you know, and, and just, you know, get out there and, you know, 
basically be professional about it. Um, you know, because I think that's that's actually in an odd way that's where the art really starts to emerge when you when you're you're calloused and tough and you know what you believe in and you know when it's when it's working. You know, you develop that. That's a that's a rhino skin, you know, tool. You know, and so that that's you know, and, and as I said, you know, the the ones that are fans, those are usually the people who go on and have careers. The people who are fans who are talented enough to be professionals. If you can be a fan and a professional. That that by the way, incidentally, that defines who Robert Kirkman is. You know, he's he's the ultimate fan of this stuff who is just, you know, happens to be almost by coincidence, coincidence, extremely talented and Mm -hmm. brilliant, you know, but, but again, as a fan of this stuff, I mean, he loves comics and he knows them inside and out and, you know, he lives and eats and breathes them. And that's, that's why I believe he's, you know, he's, he's Robert Kirkman, you know? And so, you, you know, that's just, I think that's something you can you can actually willfully do. You can say, "Well, I'm going to just read the classics," and that's, mm-hmm. you know, totally believe in that. Great. Well, what are you working on now? Well, I'm as I said, I'm just embarking on what I think of as our two towers, <laughs> our middle book, <laughs> the Walking Dead series. <laughs> And 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 in also in uh, to continue warping the Peter Jackson metaphor, um, we might even work on these next two books all in like one epic, you know, <laughs> work session over the the next year. You know, I'm hoping that I can work on both books two and three um, because they these without spoiling anything, I'll give you a little nugget. Um, these three books this trilogy of novels that are original novels that began with the rise of the governor, they are going to form like an epic um, piece of, you know, storytelling. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how they're connected, but I can sort of give you that hint that they are going to be an epic set that people are going to want to have the three. And that's not just a commercial. (laughs) That's great. And well, that's about all I can to, say right now. Yeah, sure. I understand. Uh, I look forward to, to reading those as they come out. Um, where can people find more information about you and your books online? Well, thanks for asking. And, and a good place to go is www.jbonensinga.com. Um, that's got a lot of you know links and news, and it's got my blog. and um, But also, lately, there's a lot of Facebook pages that are really fun to visit. Like, there's the Walking Dead Facebook page, which is run by St. Martin's. And that's a lot of fun because Robert's on there a lot. And I go on it and we comment and the fans talk, you know, have dialogues and stuff. And I highly recommend that one. That's a really cool, um, you know, place to go. And also, um, if you're interested in seeing, uh, you know, an elongated kind of preview um, sampling of Stash, my film, there's there's a uh, website www.stashmovie.com or the Facebook page for Stash, and you might get a kick out of that. 
That's and great. And is that available on DVD or, or how can someone watch yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, it's available on DVD. It's available, you know, uh, you know, in all the usual suspects, Netflix, uh, Amazon, you know, it's available at the distributor's uh, site, which is um, Singa Entertainment, S-I-N-G-A, entertainment.com. There's a cat and I think it's on sale. I mean, you can get it like a fourteen ninety nine down to nine ninety nine or something on that site. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah. Great. It stars well, Marilyn Chambers in her last film before she sadly passed away. Uh, well, 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 thanks. Again, we've been speaking with Jay Bonansinga, co-author of the new book, The Walking Dead, Rise of the Governor, uh, available in bookstores now. And Jay, thanks for doing the interview. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.